Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, the ninth chapter and verse 26. In our last lesson, last Wednesday evening, we got down to this verse. And it was concerning the hail that smote the land of Egypt and all the uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And in verse 26, it says, Only in the land of Goshen, you have 9 verse 26, Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. It shows that God can make a difference between His people and the people of the world. And He does make a difference. And here we find that this was the uh, seventh one of the uh, judgments that would come upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And there are three more yet to come. We have the locusts and the uh, uh, darkness and the death of the firstborn, the last three that come upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And all because Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to God. Now, we're going to hurry through this and give you as much as we can and maybe stop along places and give you some comments as we go. And uh, so we'll pick up with verse 27. It says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron. Now it's about time, isn't it? And uh, said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Now, you know, this was a false repentance on the part of Pharaoh. He didn't mean he had really sinned against God. He, he was sorry that all these judgments were coming. That's all in the world that was wrong with Pharaoh. He just assumed Aaron and Moses, Moses and Aaron to remove all these judgments and, and leave him alone. That's what he wanted. But God says, I want, I want to deal with you till you recognize. You remember Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And when he's saying this, he's just trying to get off the hook. That's all. And false repentance is worse than no repentance at all. True repentance is to turn from sin to God and to do it immediately. And he wasn't doing that. And we'll find in a moment where uh, you can see that he wasn't. Let's read the next verse and it will prove. In the next, uh, in that verse he says, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. You know, the fire and thunderings, the mighty thunder, is a sign of and symbols of divine power and divine presence. In fact, if you have a mar marginal reference for mighty thunderings, it says, voices of God. So Pharaoh said, saying to Moses and Aaron, don't let God talk to me in this thunder and in this hail anymore. I want him to be quiet. I don't want to hear God. And uh, he says, And I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Now, here's where he was lying. Because I want you to notice chapter uh, 9, verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 35. It says, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the, the children of Israel go. See? He says, I'll let them go. Now, and his heart was hardened, and neither would he let them go. And then also chapter 10, verse 11, notice what he says. Not so, go now ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for they that, that ye desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So he was only going to let part of them go. We'll get down to that compromise in a moment. Verse 29, Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that uh, the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. See, God had already told Moses what was going on. Moses knew that the battle wasn't won until uh, the ten judgment would come 
All of the he's the very first judgment that God said He would bring. He said He'd smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt. That's the first thing God said. And he knew Moses knew that God hadn't yet done that. Moses knew that God would keep His word, and you can depend on it. When God says that it'll have to take that, that's how much it'll have to take. And so it did take that much. And we go on down and read. And so Moses knew that. <clears throat> and in verse 31, the flax and the barley were smitten. The barley was in the ear and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten for they were not grown up. And Moses went out of the city and from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. And the thunders and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more. Remember, he said, I have sinned. I and my people, we're wicked. And now he says, he sinned yet more. And it says, he and his servants. Uh, he sinned yet more. He, uh, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. His heart is still unchanged. He's still rebellious toward God. He's still in love with sin. He's still unclean. He's still ungrateful. He's still presumptuous. He's still uh, proud. And he will not turn to God. In verse 35, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So God knows all about what's going to take place. God had said that they would ultimately... In other words, the victory was already God's. It was already Moses. It was already the children of Israel. But all of these things had to transpire to fulfill and to bring it to pass. You see, just because there's rebellion, just because Satan opposes, just because there's opposition, just because there's trial, doesn't mean that the victory is not already claimed. You see, even for the child of God, Jesus said, And I, when I be, if I be lifted up, will draw all men uh, unto me. And He says, uh, if I be lifted up, He said that Satan, He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And that's when Jesus died on the cross. And you say, well, uh, the, the victory is not yet won. No, but it's already claimed. The victory was not yet won for Israel, but it was already claimed because God had claimed it. And our ultimate victory is already claimed through Jesus. And Satan, uh, remember Paul says, God will judge Satan under your feet shortly. And so all we have to do is wait till the time expires and wait till God fulfills all the promises He's made and we don't have a thing to worry about. So the victory's already ours. We just have to go through the experiences of it. The children of Israel were just having to go through the process and wait until the time came. Now then, in verse 1 of the chapter 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh. You know, this word and connects us with all that's gone before and all the other judgments. And he says, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these uh, my signs before him. And that thou, look, it was not only for Pharaoh's benefit, and that thou, verse 2, may, mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. What does he say? I've done this not only to harden Pharaoh's heart and not only to show him who is Lord in all the earth, but that you'll have a story to tell your sons and their sons' sons that you can teach your children of the power of God. You see, a lot of times God delivers us 
He lets us go through these things and He brings about the deliverance in due time in order that we may be taught that God is the God over all of nature, both the Egyptians and the Israelites. And that God is supreme over the cunning power of the devil. See, God is supreme over Pharaoh. And that uh, another lesson that comes is that happiness comes only through a righteous life. The children of Israel, he says, you're my children. I want you to know what's righteous and what is godly. And they were also to learn that God is love. They were to learn that God's children are safe in his keeping. And there's two sides here to this story. You have Pharaoh and his people represented or they're symbolical of Satan and his powers and his uh, the evils of this world. And you have God's children and God's protection and God's purpose in teaching us that He is all-powerful. You know, we need to learn the lesson that whatever uh, God has done for us, it needs to be told out to the next generation, to our children, grandchildren, and right on down the line. How do you and I know anything of the previous history of the of the of Christianity? It's because it's been passed on to us. Or you say, well, we have the Bible, but that Bible has been uh, preached to us and taught to us. And, and revealed to us from the days of the apostles down till this present time. And Paul told Timothy, he says, uh, I'm giving you this, I'm giving you this word, I char- I'm charging you that you may be able to teach others also. And that's the purpose of passing the word on. I wouldn't give the world for the teachers that I had the privilege of listening to. And I know Brother Randy wouldn't. We, we appreciate men that have gone before us. And then, where did they get it from men that were before them? And where did they get it from men that were before them? Tracing it all the way back to the days of the apostles. And so we, have, we stand firm in the apostolic doctrines, and the doctrines of faith and doctrines of grace, because they've been expounded to us through the years. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so it's our responsibility. It's a, de- a divine command for us to teach our children. And... So that's what it says here in verse 2. Now look verse 3. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Well, God knew how long. Moses knew how long. But he was asking Pharaoh how long. In other words, it's ultimately going to finally end up with Pharaoh's decision as to when he's tired enough of all these judgments. When he finally gets enough of them, He's going to make up his mind. You know, this is one lesson. Let me stop and pause here just a moment to give you this. This is one lesson that proves to me that under the wrath and judgment of God does not cause men to to repent. God's judgment can fall and can be as hard. The Bible says in the New Testament, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And you find over in the book of Revelation... Uh, when all the judgments and the plagues came upon them, it says, Yet they repented not of their adulteries, of their thievery, of their fornications, of their idolatry. Yet they repented not. And they were filled with sores. They were filled with plagues. They were filled with judgments in the great tribulation. And yet they repented not. See, if a person cannot be led to the Lord by seeing that God is love and God is good and that God is uh, will care for His children, he's not going to be led to God if, if the... If, if he's struck down, if, he, if, if he's smitten, if someone comes up with a rifle and 
blows him half away and he's just enough left of him to be mindful of, of having a need, even that won't do it. You go to hospitals, Randy and I have been, and I've been many times, go to hospitals and you find, I'll visit someone in one of their sick rooms and they'll say, Brother Joyce, yeah, okay, I know what's coming. So Brother Joyce, if the Lord will just get me out of here. I visited one lady I remember as long about in October one year. And she says, now, <laughs> show you how they want to put it off. She says, now, Brother Joyce, if the Lord will just get me out of here, and I can get over this, and all my family gets straightened out by the first of the year. Let's see, October, November, December. We're all going to start coming to church. That's kind of like old Pharaoh. He said, Moses says, when do you want me to remove the frogs? And he said, tomorrow. Brother, I'd have said right now. In my bed and in the bed chambers and in the kneading troughs and in my dough and in my bread. Brother, I'd have said, get rid of them instantly. Don't let one of them remain. I don't want to sleep tonight with them. But see, people want one more night with their pet sins. One more night with their idolatry. One more night. They just can't give it up. But turning to God in real genuine repentance is leaving all this behind and turning to Him in faith. I'm not progressing very far. Let's hurry up. Uh, let's, let's go on down here. It says, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. The same request. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locust unto thy coast. God gave him time to repent. Didn't He? He says, Now look, you've got till tomorrow... And God was slow in bringing judgment. He says, here's the warning. Now, what are you going to do about it? And they shall cover the face of the earth. Now, this is locusts. They shall cover the face of the earth that uh, one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth uh, for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses and the houses of all thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians which uh, neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day, and he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. You know, Moses was getting tired of this. The next time we find, I believe, over here one time, we'll get to it later. Let's see if I can find it for you. In chapter 11, verse 8, when he promises that he'll bring the death of the firstborn upon them. 11, verse 8. It says, And all these thy servants, Moses speaking to Pharaoh in 11 verse 8, shall come down unto me and bow themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. In the heat of anger. Talk about being aggravated. Moses was fed up too, wasn't he? You know, Jesus went in the temple and cleansed He went in and was angry. The Bible says. We talk about be angry and, you know, and sin not. That's what we're talking about. is a righteous indignation. You and I have a reason to be angry with sin. We have a reason to be angry at Satan. We have a reason to be angry with that which is unholy and ungodly and untrue and unrighteous. And yet we have to maintain our our uh, position before God that it's for His cause or we wouldn't be angry at all. We, we have to put away anger from our hearts so that we don't want a revengeful anger, but we are always angry at sin. We should always be angry at the devil. And so 
Moses went away in a heat of anger. Shows you he is a man, but it shows you he was a man of God also. So, you know, you shouldn't even get up to preach unless you're angry at the devil and angry at sin and angry at everything that's unrighteous and unholy and in love with all that is true and good for God. And so we have a stand to take, don't we? And people, you know, sometimes preachers are criticized for the things they say, yet uh, they should say a lot of things. Probably we should say a lot of things we don't say. And probably we say some things we shouldn't say, too. But on the other hand, there's a lot of things we should come down harder on than we do. And it's our business to learn where to draw the line and learn how to rightly divide the word of truth and say it in such a way that people will see that we want to do what God wants us to do. So look at this. It says he went out, verse 6. You have uh, 10, verse 6. And he went out, he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. I don't think he turned out and says, bye-bye, Pharaoh. I think he was really fed up, don't you? I think when he turned and went out, he said, I'm giving you another chance, and I'm only doing this because God said to do it. If it was left up to me, it would all be over right now. I'm sure that's the way Moses felt with Pharaoh. If it had been left up to him, he wouldn't have gone this far. And then verse 7, Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long? Now they say how long. How long shall this man be a snare unto us? How long is this preacher going to bug us? How long is this guy going to get on our case? Uh, Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Pharaoh's servant said, Don't you realize that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. Evidently, he listened to his servants for just a moment. And he thought, Well, I've got to do something. Everybody's mad at me now. And he said uh, unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? Look, he's going to set conditions. Who's going to go? Now, this is his third compromise. Remember, first of all, he compromised. He says, You can go and sacrifice, but stay in the land. In the land. The next one, stay near the land. And now, part of them have to stay in the land. Look at the rest of it. Verse 9 through 11. It says, who shall go? Verse 10. Verse 9, I mean, verse 8 says, who shall go? And verse 9 says, And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old and our sons and with our daughters and with our flocks and with our herds. Will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. He says, Everything we are and everything we have is going with us. Now look, and he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you, not so. He says, You can't take your little ones. Now look, verse 11. Go now, ye that are men. What he's saying, he says, All of you can go, but leave your little ones here in, the, in, in Egypt. And you men go, leave your wives, leave your little ones. He says, Go ye that are men and serve the Lord, for they. For that you desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. You see, Pharaoh's next compromise was, was for Moses to leave part of themselves. For Israel to leave part of themselves in the land. Their wives and their children. And their herds and their flocks. Or possibly he'd let them take a few to sacrifice. But he's talking about compromise again, isn't he? He's setting conditions. You know the devil doesn't mind if you serve the Lord if you'll just not go all out. If you'll just leave part of yourself in the world. Leave a part of yourself there. Don't really uh, be dedicated. Be worldly and godly at the same time. 
try to try to just leave a party. Don't tell your children they ought to go to Sunday school and church. After all, you're you're uh, telling them to do something they may not want to go. You know, have you ever heard that old argument? I've seen the time of little children, boys and girls, didn't want to go to school too. You're going to tell them not to go to school so they can get an education? No, you say, I'm going to make them go to school. But when it comes to religious education, oh, now, we don't, you know, let them make up their minds they want to go. You see the compromise that the devil wants, and that's what he's striking at. He's trying to get us to not be uh, firm and and, uh, steadfast with our own families and concerned about their spiritual well-being as much as we are their... their, uh, well-being as far as society and as far as getting an education, preparing for a job is concerned. I'd a whole lot rather prepare them for heaven than for work in, in spite of the fact that all uh, uh, is necessary in order that we uh, maintain uh, a living. But you know, people don't see that the, the necessity for preparing children for uh, the Lord's work. So leave part of yourself in the world. Egypt is type of the world. Part of us. He wants to, us to leave part of ourselves. Leave your little things. Don't be so ticklish about little things. But listen, little things grow up to be big things someday. You know it said over in the, the Arab countries that if you're going to kill a snake, kill him while he's a little snake. Don't wait until he gets full grown. Get rid of him right then. And you stop it right then, and then the then you, you don't have to you don't have to face him when he's grown, do you? You've already gotten rid of him. And that's why we need to teach our children the right things. Now let's go on down. It says uh, in verse twelve, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for for the locusts. See, old Pharaoh thought he could get by with this this compromise. This is the third one. We'll find the fourth one in this chapter as well. The fourth attempt to compromise with God. Now, remember we said we have ten judgments and four compromises. From chapters 7 through what? 11. That ought to be easy to remember. And ten judgments and four compromises. And this is the third compromise. And this next judgment will be the eighth judgment, the locust. And then we'll have ninth, the darkness, and the tenth, the death of the firstborn. So let's go on down. Verse 12. The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt. He told, he told Pharaoh he was going to do it, didn't he? And see, Pharaoh's still dying to bargain. After seven judgments, Pharaoh's still trying to bargain with God. You know, some people are slow learners, aren't they? They're just slow learners. I think I'd have learned when he turned all the water into blood. And I looked out there and I didn't have anything to drink. And Moses took his staff and touched the water. Aaron did. And God's command, Moses. And turned into blood. And then when all those... I know I would have given up when all those frogs came. That would have done me in for sure. I'd say, I'll surrender. But see, people are stubborn, aren't they? And he hardened his heart. In verse 13, Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land uh, all that day and that night. See, God can use any means He wants to to bring judgments. He did it by an east wind. He said, east wind, you go out there and gather every locust you can find all over, and you bring them right over here. In fact, when He relieves him of this 
plague of locusts, he sends the west wind to t- take them back where they belong. So that there's not any left in Egypt. See, God used the wind. He says all these things are at his disposal. Sometimes we say, God, do this, but you do it how I want it done. God has all the means at his disposal. We need not dictate how God does things. Now then, notice this. Uh, an east wind upon all upon the land all that day and that night, and when the when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coast of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no lo- such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left, and there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field uh, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. He got in a hurry again, didn't he? And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Well, now, how many times can you say that and get by with it? You know, we have people saying the sinner's prayer all the time. I have sinned. We have people all over repenting. You know, I have a message on the words, I have sinned. On these three words, Pharaoh said, I have sinned. He didn't mean it. Who was it else? Others that you find that said, I have sinned, and they didn't mean it. The only one that really was responsive is when the prodigal son, now listen carefully, the prodigal son says, I have sinned and I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto my father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee and no more worthy to be called thy son. And here was true repentance. He did what he had in his heart to do and he repented and he went to his father and he begged for forgiveness, asked for forgiveness. And that's the real repentance. But there's been people all through the Bible that says, I have sinned. Words don't mean anything unless they come from here. Now, if Pharaoh really meant it, God said, okay, that's enough. We'll cut off the judgment. But he didn't mean it. He was just playing with, with uh, God's grace and goodness. He says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. This death only. In other words, he is saying, I'm concerned about this locust, this plague of locusts. He didn't say, from now on I'm going to serve God. He didn't say, I know who the Lord is. He didn't surrender himself. But he wanted this plague taken out of the way. A lot of people are just sad they got caught. It's what they were doing. And that's the terrible thing. You know, there's a great deal of difference between being sad you got caught at something and having to suffer the consequences and being sorry that you did something. And so we need to get our uh, confession right before God. We should be, now listen carefully, we should be in our hearts sorry that our sins had to, uh, that, that it had to claim the death of Jesus on the cross in order to redeem us. We ought to be sorry that we have so sinned that it took the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us to God. That we've sinned against a holy God. And that's that's really recognizing the sin where it belongs. Now let's go on down. In verse 19, uh, well, verse 18, He went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind. See the west wind? Which took away the locusts and cast them into the 
Red Sea, there remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. You know, the Egyptians worshipped the sun as well. In fact, there's a, a word for sun in their in uh, as far as they're concerned, R-A, or in the uh, Hebrew language, R-A, R, and that's where they get the word Pharaoh, P-H-R-A-O-H, Pharaoh, the sun. They worship the sun. They even named their, their Pharaoh uh, so that he would be a connection with the sun. And they worshiped the sun. The Egyptians did. And God says, I'm going to show you what darkness is like. The sun that you so think, think so much of is going to be dark for three days. And you're going to feel this darkness. Have you ever been down the Carlsbad Caverns when they turn the lights out? It's dark, isn't it? You know, it would be a good experience for everyone if they put them down there for about, it's usually about one minute, isn't it? Or 30 seconds or a minute. But anyway, they put them down there in the bottom of that cave, turn the lights out for about an hour. Don't you know they've learned a lot of lessons there? Because that's a dark place. And just just one hour of darkness there. Three, what about three days and three nights? And I mean it's a dark. You cannot see your hand right there. And those of you that experienced that, I've tried it. Yeah, I couldn't. Of course, you may be able to see a little better than I can. But I can't see it. It's just black. Just absolutely dark. And so, uh, here's a darkness that could be felt. And I'm sure that that's the kind of darkness that came upon the earth when Jesus died on the cross. That they could feel that darkness. And they knew that something divine and miraculous was taking place when that thick darkness came and Jesus died on the cross. And it was midday when it happened. Okay? It says, uh, A darkness, the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand, this is verse 21, toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land uh, of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. You say, how did God work that? God worked it out. They had light in their dwelling. It must have been a miraculous light, like the star that lit up the way to, to baby Jesus. God sent a special way to lighten the land of Goshen, the place where the children of Israel were. Just as He is able to, to uh, direct all the elements, He could direct that light to the children of Israel. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, now look, go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Here's his fourth compromise. You know, this guy's never going to give up, is he? The fourth compromise. Let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go. You can take your kiddos, all right, but leave your possessions in the world. Keep your business and your money separated from God. See, that's what the devil wants. You know, a Christian ought to have every bit of his possessions, everything that he has and holds, not only himself, but everything is in God's hands. You don't separate your business from God. You don't separate yourself from God. You don't separate your home from God. You don't separate anything you have from God. 
It's all in God's hands. Like Job of old, he says, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you see, when we come to the place, the devil wants us to leave a part of ourselves, and that which, uh, by the way, this is what it took for them to really worship God, because their herds and their flocks were for sacrifices. And they worshiped God by sacrifice. Listen to this. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. I like that statement. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. In other words, we have everything at God's disposal and whatever He asks us to sacrifice, we want to be able to give anything or everything that God asks. Now that's dedication to God, isn't it? That's a real, genuine, converted person. And Moses says this is what it takes. We've got a lot of Christians that's converted uh, everything except uh, what they have. They say, God, you can have me, but, but leave my pocketbook alone. Leave my possessions alone. Leave all of these material things alone. Well, that's just kind of a half conversion, isn't it? If we're converted, it all belongs to God. Now, He can give it to us. He can take it away from us. And usually He'll bless us more than we'll ever realize and provide for us. But it should be all on the altar for God. It belongs to Him. You don't have anything. You say, well, I work hard. Well, who hasn't? Who hasn't? You should work hard. All of us should. And God will bless you for it. Everyone's got to pay their dues sometime or other. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And you know, we find over in the New Testament that Paul was telling Timothy, and Paul said, let him that does not work not eat. Right? So if you find a lazy person out here and you offer him a job and he well, no, just give me something to eat. Say, so, okay, I'll give you some work. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care and help those that are in need and have in various different uh, straits and conditions, situations. We should be tender and open to that kind of a situation. But we also ought to have enough wisdom and understanding that, that sometimes we're just uh, encouraging that lack of responsibility in other people by the way we do. You know, Christians ought to be able to say no to it just like anyone else. Say, well, I'm afraid they'll get mad. Well, you know, after all, you didn't get them in that condition, did you? Some people. I'm talking about people that can do better. I'm not talking about a person out here that's a widow or an orphan and has had bad luck and things happen to them and, and are down and out and people... That, that come and go and have situations that come up that they need help. You and I all know that there are certain times that, that anyone might need help. But I'm talking about encouraging laziness and lack of responsibility on the part of people. Well, to have better sense than that. God comes to you. There's a fellow. I don't know. Better be quiet. Sits down there at first. I come out at first. Sit there. And he's, he's always after me. And he's dressed fairly nice, and he starts out there, and he starts after me. The time I get the pickup, he's there. 
One day he came up and says, Oh, he says, and I knew what he's after. You know, they sell a lot of beer in furs. And I knew what he's after. And he came up, hey, now, could you give me two dollars? says, I, I'm, I'm hungry. Well, I, I've seen what he does with that two dollars before. And he's really not so, so much of a bum as he is a leech. He just wants to get money from you. I don't know how you draw the line. But anyway, what I'm saying is he just wants to get stuff off of you. And I said, no, I won't give you two dollars. I said, I had enough to go buy my groceries. Bye-bye. And boy, he still tries to head out for me every once in a while. When I, when he comes, when I come out the door, I said, hi. And he'll stop. Boy, he wants to be real friendly. Hi, bye. I'm gone. I'm out of here. <laughs> because I'm not going to give him money to buy his beer, wine, liquor. I'm just not going to do that. Now, if he's hungry, I take him and buy him something to eat. But I don't believe that's the case, really. If I thought it was, I would. All right, let's go on to this. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. You see, serving God, worshiping God, being true to God, and really laying it all on the line costs us something. It takes what we are and what we have. It takes dedication on our part. There's a lot of people leave a Bible preaching and teaching church because it's too hard. They leave a Bible preaching and teaching church because they're in love with their sin. Many. They don't want to live a godly and righteous life. That's exactly what happened. Someone says, well, Brother Joyce, why don't you have more people here? Well, I don't know. Tell you one thing, it's not because we don't desire them, and it's not because we don't invite them. And there's some that come and go, and they have through the years. Or rather, they come a little while, and if you really mean business, you'll still be here, like you folks are tonight. I believe you mean business. I believe you like real Bible preaching and teaching. I think you like God's Word. But if you find people that just come, and they say, well, I know what I'm going to have to do if I go there. I'm going to have to really mean business. Well, then, they're gone. They're gone to some other place where they they're, they can get their ears tickled just a little bit, you know. Put up with anything that comes along. Now, I don't mean that in the form of legalism. I mean just God's Word. It just lays it out straight, doesn't it? All right, look at this. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself. See my face no more. Pharaoh was angry now. See my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. He was threatening Moses. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. Now look. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more. You know God knew just how far he was going to have to go, didn't he? He said, I'm just going to bring one more. He says, this will do the trick. See, God knew when the victory would come. He told Moses when the victory would come. He said, I'll bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. He not only let you go, when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. He'll want to get rid of you after this one. Isn't that something? God knows what's going to happen. And God has power to make it happen. No, sometimes you and I come in. Now, Moses tried to make it happen a time or two. He found out God wasn't in it. Remember when he was first 
seeing the Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, and he tried to he he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand, and then uh, then the uh, two Hebrew brothers were fighting with each other, and he went out and said, "No, don't you fight with each other." And he tried to be a, a, a means of making peace between uh, his own people, and they wouldn't. He says, "Will you kill us as you did the uh, the Hebrew uh, the Egyptian yesterday?" They didn't want it. So he was trying to do the right thing, but he was premature in doing it. You see, we have to wait till God's ready to do something. It's not so much of what we do as it is what God does through us. And so when God finally called Moses and he says, Moses, now I'm commissioning you. After he spent 40 years in the backside of the desert in the uh, desert seminary. <laughs> 40 years. Pretty good schooling, wasn't it? Go to school 40 years, you'll learn a little bit. Moses came back when he was 80 years old, and God says, Now, well, of course, he called him, and he went back. He called him there in the, at the burning bush. He went back. He was ready to do it, wasn't he? And he gave him the credentials to do it. He says, You take that serpent by the tail, you put your hand in your bosom, pull it out, and it was leprous. Put it back in, and it was clean. It was cured of leprosy. He says, You take your staff and Touch the waters and then turn them into blood. He gave him three great signs. And he says, when you do these these things, not only will, will Israel believe you, but Moses will uh, sit up and take notice too. And now he says here, look, they will thrust you out. In verse 2, you have 11 verse 2. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And this word borrow means ask or demand or require. It was, you know, some people say they stole or they spoiled the Egyptians by stealing all that. They had been there for 400 years as slaves. And God says, I'm going to give them their wages now. Of jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And they were not stealing these things. And the word borrow doesn't mean say, I'll take this and I'll pay it back. In this instance, it doesn't mean that. You know, our word borrow means I want to borrow a cup of sugar and tomorrow I'll bring you a cup of sugar. Sometimes we don't do that either. But anyway, be that as it may, it means a different thing here. Look, verse 3 now. It says, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Look, they knew they had deserved this. Gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. The man Moses was great in their sight. They said, well, if Moses wants these things, we're going to give them to him. Because after all, look what they've gone through. So they gave him the jewels of silver and jewels of gold and so on. Verse 4, And Moses said, Thus, the, thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn... I want you to notice something here. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. That's very important. In the land. Wasn't the children of Israel in the land of Egypt? Hey, listen carefully. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. It doesn't say all the firstborn of the land of Egypt that are just Egyptians or their servants. But the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt. Now you say, well, how did that happen? Now look, I'll give it to you prematurely. Listen. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt did die. You say, well, that's not true because God uh, sent the Passover lamb and He spared the firstborn. 
Yes, but there was one that died as a substitute for that. Follow me? There was a lamb that died in the place of that first one. So that theoretically, every one of the firstborn in the land of Egypt died. But those of the house of Israel found a death in the lamb that was slain for them instead of them. And we all deserve death. Right? But we, we're not going to die because Jesus took that death for us. See? And we were under the sentence of death just like all the Israelites as well as the Egyptians. The Israelites deserve death as well as the Egyptians. But he says, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And they did, but as far as the Israelites were concerned, that had faith and applied the blood of the Lamb, that Lamb that died in their place, they had one that died as a substitute for them. So really that was their death. Who's our death? Jesus is the substitute. Christ is our death. We deserved it, but He died. And so that's where we stand. And we need to realize, and we'll have a lot more to say about the Passover when we get into it. Our time is about gone. But we wanna, we'll leave with there with verse 5. This is the tenth judgment. We'll pick up with 11 verse 5 in our next lesson. But I want you to keep in mind what I've just pointed out. And when we talk about the Passover lamb, we'll get into it, that, that, that Israel offered to, uh, to uh, and applied the blood, we'll find that there's more to the 